easily. But some of us know the feeling of, of making a mistake or having a regret. That's kind of life-changing, right? World-altering, if you will. It stays with you and it maybe weighs you down for years and years and years, if not your entire life. And I believe that there's a character in the, in the story of Christmas that knows this feeling, this feeling of regret, maybe more than any other character in all of the Scripture. But it's a character that we typically miss or kind of move right past because we're not really paying close attention to it. And I don't want us to do that this morning. I want us to zero in on this particular character. Uh, so for the last month, we've been in a little sermon series called Gift Exchange. And in this series, we've been looking at how every character in the birth of Jesus brought something to the Lord and then received something in exchange from the Lord. They brought kind of their mess, and they brought their mistakes, and they brought all of their fears and, and anxiety. And in return, God gave them all of these blessings and assurances and joys. But there is one character in the story. There's that one guy. There's always that one guy, isn't there, who didn't make the exchange. We know this feeling of being that guy, right? There's always that guy online making a, an inappropriate comment. There's the guy at the office who doesn't really pull his weight. There's the guy in your, your group project in class that's not really doing what they're supposed to be doing. There's always that guy. And there's a guy in the story of Scripture. It might even be a gal for all we know. But there's a person who didn't in, in, uh, invest in or didn't engage in, better yet, the exchange, Everybody else makes the exchange. Mary comes to Jesus and makes a great exchange. The shepherds come to Jesus and make a great exchange. The wise men who are known for it come to Jesus and make a great gift exchange. But there's one person who doesn't make the exchange. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Their story is told in Luke chapter 2. There's a little background that will help us, I think, kind of make sense of it. Luke 2 says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that had taken place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and who was expecting a child. So I want you to imagine for a second that the President of the United States issues a decree. A new law is passed through the legislation, and every single American citizen, by the end of this month, has to return to the city where your parents were born. Right? Think about that. You needed to go and return to the city, temporarily, luckily, not forever, but you needed to go back to the place, to the town, to the city where your parents were born. And you needed to stay there until you could be accounted for, until somebody could literally count you and register you. Can you imagine the stress and the chaos that such a decree would create? Right? You thought Southwest Airlines had a rough time over the holidays. Imagine what kind of chaos this would create you got to take time off of work. you got to make travel arrangements. you got to figure out how to get there, where you're going to stay, when you get there. Because many of us, our family probably weren't born exactly in this location. You were born somewhere else, maybe even across the country, even outside of this country. You had to go there to register. That's exactly what's happening here in this story back in the first century. It was called a census. And we don't really have those today as much. Maybe you get a little card in the mail. Maybe somebody comes and knocks on your door, right, and takes an account of, of who all's in your household. But it's not really a bother. It doesn't really put you out today to be counted. 
Well, the opposite would have been true back in the first century. This was a huge, huge deal. You can imagine how difficult it would have been. Thousands and thousands of people suddenly have to put everything on hold, travel great distances, distances try, to, try to book an Airbnb in a town they may have never, ever visited before. This was a very complicated moment. And one individual who was right in the middle of that mess was a man named Joseph. He's the earthly father of Jesus. Because of the decree, Joseph had to go back to this little town where his, his family was from. He was forced to travel from Nazareth, where he lived, to Bethlehem. And it was a journey that was about 80 miles. So not, not too terribly difficult, but it would have taken about 34 to 40 hours on foot. You throw in a donkey and, and a nine-month pregnant uh, fiancé. Maybe it took longer than that. It probably took five days. So it's a five-day journey on foot, traveling 80 miles. Oh, and by the way, again, your fiancé is 40 weeks pregnant. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as Joseph and his fiancé arrived, so did the baby. Luke 2, 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I imagine that Luke, the author of this book, fully expected every woman in this story, right, who originally heard it, and every woman who would hear this story for all of eternity would immediately gasp at that line. She immediately placed the newborn child where? In a manger. She placed him in a dirty trough, if you will. And I imagine the lady saying, excuse me, Mary placed her newborn child where? And so Luke adds this little bit of commentary. And this is what I want to zero in on this morning. Because there was no guest room available for them. There is so much in that statement. There was no guest room available for them. There's some disagreement on exactly what this means, but no matter how you cut it, it's kind of depressing. Let me give you a couple of options that theologians have, have thrown out there. Some think that just as the donkey's back was breaking, so did Mary's water. And so Joseph, in a rush and in a hurry, ran from hotel to hotel, knocking on the doors or asking if anybody had a, had a room, right? If he could rent a room or, or buy a room and try to find a place to stay. But because business was booming because of the census, there were so many extra people in town, there wasn't a single available room. Every Airbnb, every VRBO, every hotel completely booked. And it's not that the innkeeper was being mean, right? It's not that the hotel manager didn't want to let them in. There just wasn't any room for them in the hotels, in the motels, in the Airbnbs. That's one option. But a lot of scholars don't necessarily think that, you know, Bethlehem was this booming vacation spot that had a bunch of hotels and motels. So it's not as if he was trying to go to Holiday Inn or Motel 6 or whatever it was. He was going from door to door, right, knocking on people's doors, asking strangers, maybe, if he could have just a place to stay, a back room, if you will, a spot in the living room even. Well, as he goes door to door, knocking on the, the doors of complete strangers, guess what happens? Same thing. There's just no room for them. They probably already have a bunch of friends and family in town. Their living rooms and spare rooms are completely full. And so these folks, the strangers, are saying, no, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't come in either. I mean, a woman who is in labor pains isn't a very welcomed sight or sound when you're trying to get a, a sound sleep, right? 
But here's the thing. Hospitality was of such critical importance back in the first century. I mean, this is one of, if not the most important ways that you demonstrated your trust, your belief, your faith in God. It was to be hospitable. It was to let people in, right? Especially the stranger, the alien. This is throughout the entire Old Testament. And Jesus talks about this so much in his ministry. So the fact that no stranger let them in, this is, this is odd to me. Chances are that Joseph actually went to the home of his family members, his, his relatives. Remember, this is where his family is from. And so he went to the home of his family, his relatives, maybe his long-lost cousins, if you will, and he knocks on their door. Hey, we're, we're here finally. Can you let us in? I know we're late. It took us a little bit longer than it took everybody else to get here, but we're finally here. Hey, can we come in and get a good night rest? And what happens? His own family says, no, I'm sorry, there's no room for you here. Why would they say that? Why would his own family Right? Believers who, again, have been kind of commissioned with this idea of, of being hospitable. Right? When you show hospitality, you are, you are showing the Lord's graciousness in his favor. Why would his own family say this? Is it possible that there have been rumors of an unwed, teenage, you know, pregnant girl up in Nazareth? Connected to our Joseph, could there have been rumors, right, that this woman has slept around and, and been around the block, and now they're here in town, and we're not going to let them in? Could it be possible that there's such negativity around their story, around their journey, around the situation, that no one lets them in? So you see all the different options that were available to them? None of them worked out. Was it hotels and motels that were completely booked? Possibly. Was it strangers that weren't willing to let them in? Possibly. Was it family members who were judging them and refusing to let them in? Possibly. Regardless of how you cut it, this is an ugly moment. This is an ugly situation. No one makes room for the Lord. They refused to make room for them. And regardless of who it was, an innkeeper, a stranger, a long-lost cousin, they dismissed Mary and Joseph and they forced them to go out back. They didn't make room for them. And I think they instantly regretted it. And if it wasn't an instant regret, I imagine the regret set in pretty shortly thereafter. Whoever was approached by that young couple had an opportunity to be a part of God's story. Think about this. They had an opportunity to be a part of one of the most important moments in human history. They had an opportunity to experience the presence of God in a way that very few people in history have ever experienced that presence. They had an opportunity to partner with God, to be used by God. They had an opportunity to see God. This was the opportunity. When that knock came on their door, that was God knocking. Literally, that was God knocking on the door. And they didn't make room for him. They didn't make any room for him. I mean, that home would have been holy ground, would it have not? And I imagine that if you were to go tour the holy land today, you might be able to stop in that room. This is the house that Jesus was born, right here. But for one reason or another, maybe it was capacity issues, maybe it was an inconvenience, maybe it was apathy, maybe it was a judgmental spirit. For one reason or another, they refused. They didn't let God in. They didn't make room for him. And they completely missed out. I mean, you talk about instant regret. Now, maybe you, uh, if you didn't stay up too late last night, maybe you see where I'm going with this. What happened in that situation oftentimes happens in our situation. 
What happened back in the first century oftentimes happens in the, in the 21st century. Our lives can look a lot like that innkeeper's life, right? A lot like that, that spare bedroom, if you will. It could be full to the brim. There's hobbies, housework, assignments, appointments, gizmos, gadgets, passions, projects, to-do lists, wish lists, bucket lists, full, 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 full. And our lives are so full, there might not be any room for God. I mean, our lives honestly can look a lot like this, this bag that I packed last night. I mean, look at this bag. This is just stuff to the brim, right? I mean, we got Aggie stuff. I still haven't been to a basketball game. Come on, free tickets, church, hook it up, right? So there's, there's this kind of stuff I want to be a part of. My daughter had volleyball this last year. We were running her back and forth to practice constantly. Right? There's nobody close that they play. They got to travel two or three hours to play somebody. I do enjoy golf, so I'd like to get in a couple of rounds or two maybe tomorrow, right? Um, I've got the paper. I want to read the paper and stay up to date with current events. I want to know what's happening around the world. The car desperately needs an oil change. The light has been on for several weeks. The wife keeps bugging me about it. I need to change the oil on that thing. I mean, I'm kind of into fashion. I got some new socks. I'm getting that old. That's what you get at Christmas now. Right? So I want to look good and dress good and have a nice wardrobe. There's so many projects around the house that I need to get to. Right? I would like to play with the kids. Got some new little Legos that we could, haven't even put together yet. Things have been so busy. I've got all this yard work that I've got to get you know, to. The yard doesn't take care of itself. That's how that goes. Uh, there's money management. Right? I've got to try to figure out my investments in the next year. Do I have enough money for everything? Uh, my, my middle daughter's into tennis. Uh, Oh, man, snowboarding. I haven't been snowboarding in months, but I love snow months, years. Uh, I haven't been snowboarding in forever. It feels like I'd love to go out and do that. Oh, man, this is kind of embarrassing. Like, I've got one of these, and for the new year, I'd like for the number to go down a little bit, right? You see where I'm going with this? This is our life. It's so full. It is so full of stuff. And, and most of it's good stuff, right? None of these things are inherently evil, it's just so full. It's like those guest rooms back in the first century. And when your life looks like that, it's going to start to take a toll on you. And that toll is going to kind of manifest itself maybe in one, a couple of different ways. Maybe you're going to feel like you can never get ahead, that you're always kind of suffocating under the pressures and the demands and the stressors. Maybe you feel like you never really do anything really well. Because you have to just kind of move on from one thing to the next to the next. So you're not doing anything to the absolute best of your ability. Maybe you're never able to relax. Right? When it's full to the brim, when as soon as you sit down, you kind of feel guilty that you're sitting down. You've got to move on to the next thing. When life is full to the brim, when things push and pull you in 10,000 different directions, something is going to give. Something's going to break. It could be your health, could be your sanity, could be your bank account, could be all the above. Something's going to break. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say, when your life is so busy, when it's so full, the one thing that will almost always take a back seat or be put on the back burner is your relationship to the Lord. I don't know why that's the one thing that we always kind of say, oh, I'll just get to that later. I'll just find some time to do that later. It's like, where is that Jesus stuff? I know there's something. in. Oh, yes, here's my old Bible. <sighs> I knew it was in there somewhere, right? It's so full, and all these other things kind of are it's at the pressure of the immediate, they say, right? Where you have to address these things and deal with these things right away. It's all these pressures and, 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 and pressure points, if you will. 
And so life is full. It's all good things, but it's just so, so full. And herein lies a great truth that I want you to walk away with this morning. It's not that we push God out of our lives. We just don't have much room for God in our lives. It's not that we're actively saying, like, get out of here. You don't have access to this space. I don't want you to be a part of it. It's not that we're like, forcefully pushing him out. It's just that we don't have a lot of room for him to come in. Does this make any sense? Does anybody else's life look like this bag right here? Or 10 or 20 or 30 of them? Yes. And where is God in that? Where is he in all that space? You see, God comes knocking on our hearts. It's a great promise of Scripture, Revelation 3.20. Listen to these words. Behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is the great invitation of Scripture that God is knocking on the doors of our hearts, our lives, our spirits. He wants to come in. This sounds eerily similar to what happened in the first century on that fateful night of Christmas. God wanted to come in. But who's going to let him in? Who has the willingness? Who has the space? Who has the capacity to let him in? When God comes knocking, is there space in your guest room for him? And you don't have to have a literal guest room. I'm talking symbolically here, right? Is there space in your heart? Is there space in your spirit? Is there space in your schedule to allow the Lord to come in? Or like everybody else in Luke 2, when God comes knocking, you're like, man, sorry, God. We're just full. Like things are just full right now. I got family in town. I got a new job this year. We got some trips you want to take in 23. Like it's a big year for us, God. Sorry, there's just no room for you here. You need to go out back. Can you imagine telling Joseph and Mary to go out back? Can you imagine the instant regret of that family 33 years later when that man rises from the dead and he comes knocking again? <laughs> I don't want us to be like that. Now, you might be thinking that I am reading way too much into this story here in Luke chapter 2, but this is something that the Lord mentions on numerous occasions throughout the scripture, will you make room for him? It goes back, Jackson talked about some of the battles in the Old Testament where God says, make room for me and let me fight your battles. It goes to stories in the New Testament of two sisters who, you know, one is worshiping and one is working, and God says, I just wish you would worship. That's what I want you to do, and I want you to make room for me in your spirit. So making room for God is a big deal throughout the entire biblical narrative. And if we're not careful, if we don't take God serious in this, we're going to miss out. Imagine, imagine if the innkeeper or the family member or the stranger in Luke 2, imagine if they made room for Jesus in that story. Imagine how different that story would have played out if they didn't have to go back to the barn. They didn't have to go to the stable or to the little cave or the little outhouse. Imagine, imagine if this family, if they knocked on the hey, we're here, can we come in? Like, of course you can. Get up, everybody, get, get out, get out, get out, get out. Mary and Joseph are here, the Lord is here. Imagine if they would have made room, imagine if they would have sacrificed. Man, you can have my bed. Of course you can come in. I wouldn't want you to be anywhere else. We probably would be seeing the praise of that person today. Their name would be written in Scripture 
and would have been known for all of eternity had they just made room for the Lord. Imagine what it would have been like to be there and to see Jesus born in that moment because you allowed God in, you made space for God, and therefore you experienced God in some ways that nobody else ever would have. Or are you like the other people in that story? God, you can just go to the back. I mean, there's an outhouse back there. There's like a little covered patio if you want a little pergola in the back. Or do you let him in? Do you make room for him? They didn't, and they missed out. And here's the hard truth for us, is that if we don't make room for God, we're going to miss out. Because life is coming. Goodness is coming. Abundance is there to be had. God's promise is that he is going to move and going to encounter and blow people away in 2023. The question is, will it be us? Will we be the ones who experience that? I had a friend named Brett who uh, was a Christian long before I was a Christian. He told me the story one time of, of going to a, like a Billy Graham crusade. And he was there, and, and they, they were you know, kind of listening to the message. And, and at the end, as they come all, almost always do in these moments, they kind of give an offering, right, an invitation. Hey, if you want to give your life to Jesus right now, if you want to come and, and have things completely changed, be forgiven, have eternal life, then come forward. Right, come down. Some of you probably even gave your life in a crusade like that or saw it on TV. So Brett is sitting there in the stands. There's thousands and thousands of people. And there's a prompting in his heart. You should ask the lady in front of you to go down. Go down to the front of the stage. Bring her down to the front and help her give her life to Jesus. He just kept feeling that there was this, this spirit in him. Like, I need to ask this lady. Complete stranger, mind you. Never seen this lady before in his entire life. And Brett was already a Christian, so he's like, I don't feel like I need to go down to the front. I'm not going to give my life to the Lord again. I'm just going to do this once. Help this lady out. Bring her down to the front. Be a part of what God is doing. Brett's just wrestling, 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 wrestling. A minute goes by. Two minutes goes by. You've been in a situation before where this is happening. It's like, I know I should be doing this one thing, but I'm not sure if I should. It's kind of awkward. It's going to look kind of weird, but God seems to be. And then suddenly, the guy next to him reaches out, taps her on the shoulder, and says, ma'am, would you like to go down to the front and give your life to Christ this morning? What did she say? Yes, I would. Thank you so much for asking. That man stands up. Brett is watching the entire time. And where's Brett? Still sitting. He watches her, take her by the hand, take her down front. Her life has changed forever. Brett missed out. Brett didn't make room for the Lord in that moment. And I don't want that to be us. And you can regret, you know, having your kids bury you in the sand. Like, you can get out of that. <laughs> you can regret when you buy the drum set. Just trade it in for an electrical one. Put it in the garage. Right? You can, re you can regret certain things and get past them. I don't want us at the end of this year to regret not making room for the Lord. Would we be the church? Would we be the community? Would we be people when God comes knocking that we always say, Come on in. I will make room for you. I want to experience you and the life you have to offer more than anything else. All right, so let's talk turkey just for a second. Let's bring this home just for a little bit. Um, take out your phone real fast for me. Everybody take out your phone. If it's on, you take out your phone. I love these devices, and I hate them all at the same time. Anybody else kind of fall into that category? These devices tend to fill... Every free second that we have. Right, I can put this device in the bag right here 
but it represents far more than just the physical space it takes up, does it not? It's as if this device fills in every other free second that is not taken up by everything else in my back. What do we do when we're standing awkwardly outside? Not sure what to say to somebody. Not sure what to do. Waiting at the bus stop, waiting at the airport, stuck at a light. What do you do? Phone. What do you do in class when there's really nothing else to do, right? What do you do in church when the preacher's going long, right? What do you do? Phone. What do you do at home when there's nothing really good on TV, right? What do you, what, take out your phone, 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 phone. It's, it fills the space. So do me a favor real fast. Uh, go to your screen time. Uh, I know how to do it on an iPhone because iPhones make complete sense. Android, you're just stuck. I don't know how you do that. So on an iPhone, right, settings, scroll down just a little bit, says screen time. Problem is it probably started again today, so it's a fresh day. So this might not work as well as I was hoping it would work. And an iPhone, you get a weekly report. Anybody else have that weekly report on your screen time? Anybody else like super embarrassed when that comes out? Like, oh, please don't see that, right? You know, you can turn the screen time thing off. It's not like it's forcing you to know that. But it's a really important thing. Let's take a guess. What do you think, on average... For those between the ages of 15 and 55, what is the average daily screen time? One hour. Anybody want to say it's one hour? Much less, right? Oh, no, more? Okay, two hours. Three hours. Average daily, just, just this screen. I'm not talking about your laptop. I'm not talking about the TV. Four hours? Okay, you, you'll be, you'll be uh, happy, pleasantly surprised to know it's three hours and 56 minutes. Is that a good surprise or a bad surprise? Three hours and 56 minutes a day on this. So four hours, in addition to all the other stuff that's in our life, we are filling it with four hours of this. Sports, social media, news feeds, shows, whatever it might be, right? Music, songs, we're filling it, filling it, filling it, filling it. Let's, let's try something just for the next month or two or 12. What if you tithe your screen time? What if you tithe your screen time? For those of you that don't know that word, tithing is simply kind of a biblical word that means tenth. Normally, we think it applies to money, which it does. But it also applies to mental space, calendar space. You can tithe anything. So what if in trying to make room for the Lord, you said, Lord, I'm going to take 40 minutes. You tithe your four-hour average. You say, I'm going to give you those 40 minutes. I'm going to make room for you every day. And I'm going to take 40 minutes, and I'm going to spend it maybe in the Word. I'm going to spend it in worship. I'm going to read a great devotional. I'm going to sit in silence. I'm going to go take a walk. I'm going to go serve someone in need 40 minutes a day. I'm just tithing my screen time. I'm not asking you to give four hours. Just give 40 minutes. Tithe your screen time and invite God in. Say, God, I know my life looks like this and it feels like this. It's so maxed out and I'm so stressed out, but I want to make room for you. And so 40 minutes every day, I'm going to make room for you. Anybody want to commit to that? I would be so excited to see who we would be as a church, the stories that would come as a result of us just tithing our screen time. 
So maybe that's not going to do it for you. Maybe that's asking too much. Maybe that's asking too little. I just don't want us to regret not letting Jesus in. I imagine the innkeeper or that stranger or that relative, they regretted not letting Joseph and Mary in. I don't want us to be like that. I don't want to regret this year. And I want to look at this year with such great memories and favor and just be so excited about what God is doing. And so I'm going to challenge you this week to kind of think through what does it look like for you to make room for the Lord in 23? You're probably going to have to do something different. You're probably going to have to you know, move some things around. Your life is probably already full and maybe you have some preconceived ideas or maybe you have a judgmental spirit. Whatever the reason was in the first century that they didn't let them in, we have those same reasons today. But I want you to overcome every single one of those excuses. Make room for Jesus. And we as a church are committed to doing this with you. So starting next week, like I mentioned, our incredible Bible classes, they're about interesting, 40 minutes long. You could come to one of those. I'm going to start giving you sermon notes and study guides and kind of fill in the blanks so you can take home the notes from the message and study it in more in depth at home on your own. We're going to try to find more resources for our life groups. We found some incredible material going through spiritual disciplines. So if you're not a part of a life group right now, come and find us. You need to sign up to be a part of one. You need to make room for Jesus. Don't regret this one, okay? Don't regret this year. Make room for him. Make room for him. That's my prayer for you now. Let me, let me say it to the Lord. Ask him specifically. Father, such an interesting story that, that Joseph and Mary knocked on probably 10, 20, maybe 100 doors that night. And nobody, nobody let them in. Everybody pushed them to the back. And yet you still came. It's not as if you didn't come because there wasn't any room for you. No, you came and you made room somewhere else. And I think that right now, God, you are knocking on each of our hearts. And this year, I know that you're going to knock in each of our lives. You're going to do something and invite us into something. And would we be ready and willing to let you into that space, God? And I pray that would happen every single day. Would this church be known for making room for you? When you come knocking, would every single one of us agree to let you in and create some space and move some things around, adjust things if need be, but would we make room for you? Because when you come in, you will change everything. Our lives will never be the same again if we would experience and encounter you and the life that you have to offer. So help us this year, 23, to make room for you. We thank you for all of the, the things in life. We thank you for the practices and, and the recitals. We thank you for the, the projects. We thank you for work and for hobbies Thank you for trips and vacations. We thank you for game nights and family time. We thank you for all of that, Lord. But we don't want to miss you in the middle of all of that. And we do thank you for our phones and for technology, God. But it seems as if those things are starting to really suck us away, draw us away from you. And so help us to get creative. Help us to be sacrificial in how we use these gifts to welcome you to invite you in, to encounter and experience you. Help that to be true for us this year in 23. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to do that now. We're going to make room for Jesus. We're going to take some time and, and go to the table. The table is a, something that we do every single week together where we just remember the sacrifice Jesus made, his body broken, his blood shed, and we come and we just say, Jesus, I want to let you in. I want to let you in. 
Let that be your prayer this morning as we go to the table and the team leads us in some songs.